Hello and welcome to LSA Sermon Based Podcast. Our current series is called What is Love? where we will discuss the four Greek words for love and why it's important to understand the difference. We hope that you are blessed by the Word of God today. And now, here is Pastor Brian. Well, good morning. Uh, it's wonderful to welcome you to this uh, first uh, Sunday uh, of Advent. Advent is one of my favorite times of the year. And, as, uh, you know, when the pretty lights come out and we get to see all of the, uh, the beauty of the church, we get to see it highlighted. And one of the things that we're talking about, because this is the uh, first Sunday of Advent, we're talking about hope. Now, that's not going to be the theme that we're looking at today, but it's a theme that kind of just generates uh, our thinking this Sunday. We think about hope. Hope is a particularly Christian virtue in that we don't just have hope for things in the present, but we have this hope and it extends into the future, past our own earthly lives and into eternity. And so our hope is a hope that is an eternal hope. And so we, we uh, celebrate that here this morning. We're starting a new series today, going into for this whole Advent season, and it is this series, it's entitled, What is Love? What is love? And we're looking at the four Greek words. Each Sunday, we're going to look at a different Greek word for love. And we're going to investigate what the scriptures have to say about love. They're going to define it. We're going to get it down. We're going to, we're going to dig into it. Our first uh, sermon for today is, and our first topic for today, is the Greek word storge. Probably not heard that one. This was new to me as I was doing a little investigation. I did not know this one, storge. We're looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord read in our midst. Let us pray. Holy God, we come to this story we've heard many times and look for the gems that are here. There are many. Lord, we just pray that as we open this text, our hearts would be opened at the same time and we would receive uh, something good, something encouraging, a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you think of Christmas, what comes to your mind? It's probably something you would see in any commercial for Christmas, right? All the things that our culture associates with Christmas. Loaded Christmas trees, loaded dinner tables, tons of sparkling lights inside and outside the home. Christmas is a time of fuzzy socks, Christmas cookies, and that roaring fire, although today it's usually a gas fire, so it doesn't really roar. But yes, a roaring fire. All of these symbols of the Christmas season, though, are not special in themselves. It's the association we have with them and the thing that matters most, family. Christmas is a time of family. Within, its life, within the life of the church, there's this wonderful, special thing that kind of sits at its center. It's a bigger community as an image of a smaller community, and that little community is the family. The love of family is something God created, and it is good. When families are working at their best, and even less than their best, when they are the healthiest, and even when they're not so healthy, they're characterized by this thing, this thing called love. And it's a unique kind of love that is special just to the family. There are many types of love that we can talk about, and over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about all these different types of love. But what's special about family love is it's the only love that you would call natural. Most loves, think of romantic love, are loves that require some sort of process to come about, right? There's a courting process for love, uh, romantic love. It takes a little while to warm up, to develop. But with family love, it's different. The love of a family is different. It's just there. It's there through the ups and downs. It's through, there through the thick and the thin. It's just there. The Greek language, which is the language the New Testament was written in, has a word for this kind of family love. It's called storge. The Greek dictionary has a very short definition for this word. It just says family affection or love for family. However, the definition family affection really doesn't say too much. It doesn't give us a whole lot of understanding. So we need to drill down a little further. Storge is particularly the love that parents have for their children and that children have for their parents. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. We're going to focus in on parental love, but we can never remember that we're also talking about children's love for their parents. We maybe talk about that a little bit at the end. But we're really talking about parental love, and I love this quote from C.S. Lewis that gets at what parental love is. He says that a great example of storge is a mother nursing a baby. 
a dog or cat with a basket full of puppies or kittens, all in a squeaking, nuzzling heap together, purring, lickings, baby talk, milk, warmth, the smell of young life. Only C.S. Lewis can put it so well. In the New Testament, we don't find the word storge, although we do find variations on it, but what we do find in the Bible are examples of storge. One prominent example is the relationship between Mary and Jesus. This morning, we're going to investigate storge, a most wonderful kind of love, but one of the most complicated as well at times. This morning's goal is to recognize that storge, to recognize it in our lives, to see family affection, and also figure out how can we grow that over the Christmas season. Our first point, Mary shows storge through her immediate need, our immediate care for Jesus' needs. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. I think sometimes we make too much of Mary's spirituality. Mary is a very spiritual person, don't get me wrong, right? She's a very special woman within the story, uh, the biblical testimony, the biblical witness. However, sometimes we make too much of it. Sometimes we make too much of the divinity of Christ, and we end up forgetting this important truth. They were both very human, particularly in their relationship with one another. So we have a tendency to spiritualize this relationship, right? You know, uh, Mary, did you know? You guys know that song? We have all these things that, and it's not wrong, it's just an overemphasis sometimes. And this happens really in liturgical churches, right? Where they really elevate Mary far beyond uh, the biblical story or the witness. Other churches divinize Jesus to the point that they forget that he's human, fully human. Look with me at verses 6 to 7. This will help us fill out um, how Jesus and Mary in this relationship reveal this very human, the very humanness of both of them. So a baby is born. A baby is born in an impoverished uh, place and time. There is no midwife here, notice, to help in the birthing process. This is just her, uh, uh, a woman, a young woman, and her betrothed taking care of everything themselves. This is their first birth. So the first one. Mary's probably not in the best of circumstances at this time. She is, in, this, in these verses, has just gone through her first birth, the hardest thing she's ever done. Remember, we always say, you know, we, we comment on how old Mary was. Mary, let's give, her, let's give her an older age than normally. Let's say she's 17. Uh, let's say that she's older. Man, 17, having your first baby on your own with no help and nobody that knows what they're doing, right? It's a, this is a difficult thing. Now, I won't get to go into the detail about giving birth, but from what I've witnessed once or twice, or I think it's seven times, is at best an exhausting, messy, painful potentially physically damaging process. But what does it say? Right after this baby's born, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. That doesn't sound very special, but give me a moment. Let's think about it. In a better situation, who would have done that? Who would have done the wrapping? 
would have been the midwife. The midwife delivered the baby. The midwife now wraps the baby up. But in this situation, this young girl was storge. This is of emphasis on the very human aspect of her affection and care and love for this baby. With storge, she does this for the baby herself. What else would guide her to do this in this moment but the inner compulsion she had to care for the baby? Let's be honest, right after giving birth, how many mothers literally within the first minute to let's say a minute to two minutes, are you ready to start wrapping the baby? What do you guys think? Within two minutes? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Like, it's, it's, we're talking minutes here. This baby's just born. It can't be left sitting out. And yet Mary, whether she's ready or not, and this would have gone, I think this goes for all moms. All mothers would be like this in this kind of situation. Whether it's easy or not, whether it's good or not, whether it's fun or not, changes nothing for Mary because ready or not, this baby needs her. This baby will not survive if she doesn't do something, if she doesn't care for it. Does it matter who this baby is? Do you think at this moment she's going, oh, the son of God? No, she's going, my son is here. This little baby, this, this crying, messy, needy baby, very human. Right now, all this baby needs isn't to be praised, isn't to be worshiped. All this baby needs is what all newborns need, right? He's a very, it's a very physical thing. All he needs is storge, loving affection, from a mother that's gonna feed him when he needs feeding, change him when he needs changing, will play with him, will talk baby talk, and will cuddle him. All the things that moms do. Second, Mary shows Storge through caring about his, his early life. Luke chapter two, verse 19. How many mothers here have created a baby book for their children? Has anybody created a baby book? Okay, I'm not sure if this is like more of like an old school thing, uh, but that's what my mom did for my brother and I. We both have these baby books, I've got one at home, that tells me everything that I did in my young life, right? All those noteworthy things that happened at the different stages of my life. If I opened it for, uh, opened it for you, you'd see everything from the first little cap, you know those little caps you put on the newborn baby? You're gonna find that in there. You might find a booty somewhere uh, that everyone thinks are so cute, right? You'd open up, you'd see all these different things about my early life. Of course, there are pictures of the baby in any sort of baby book. Most of these end up on Instagram today. I'm not sure if, if young moms today are more like, I don't need to create a baby book. You know, I've got a page uh, developed for them and, and you can see all this. And underneath all of that, what would you put, right? You'd put the weight, you put the length, I was gonna say height, but no, that wouldn't work, it's always length. My mother wrote all these down in her baby book and continued to keep a record of everything following. But more than just treasuring these moments and mementos, mothers will often just sit and look at their baby. I, I th this is a very natural thing to do, right? And we know this through psychology that there's some important bonding that's happening as a mother looks with her face and looks into the baby's face. This is something that helps the baby grow and mothers are just gonna sit and do that. There's lots of time with feedings for mom and baby to just look at each other. I think mothers might wonder, who's this little baby gonna be? Where's this, 
little baby of mine going to go? Who are they going to meet? What their future, what's their future going to be like? Wondering how their lives will progress. Christian mothers will also be praying for the salvation of their child. As they look at that little baby, they realize it's going to grow up and it's going to need a relationship with Jesus. Mary is just the same. It says in verse 19 that Mary treasured all these things. What was she treasuring? I think she was treasuring a lot of different things, but she'd be treasuring things like when that baby holds her finger for the first time or opens its eyes. Have you, have you, can you guys picture in your mind that little baby when it does its first little smile and you, it has that big open gummy mouth smile? That's something that a mother is gonna treasure. And that's something Mary would have treasured as well, but she had a lot more to treasure, right? There are some big things she learned about her son. Uh, from a communication from an angel, she learned herself about who her baby would be, that he was gonna reign forever. Luke chapter one, verses 31 to 33 says this. Uh, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There's also a good chance that Mary has heard about what the angels have said through the shepherds. Luke chapter two, verses 10 to 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. When it says she treasured these things, it means she took these ideas and then she put them in her mind and into her heart. And it says that Mary at that time pondered them. She pondered these things. Pondering it means mulling over. I was thinking of mulled wine. Are we allowed to talk about wine at, at, at church? I'm not sure we're allowed to do that. Mulled wine, right? What does it mean? You put those spices and things like that and you let it simmer and it goes over and over again. So you can imagine she's mulling it over. Those things are seeping into her and getting out into her life. Mary had a lot to think about as she gazed into the face of her tiny child. As Mary held this baby, she must have wondered what God was gonna do, how her son was gonna accomplish all these things, how it was gonna work out. In this way, again, Mary is no different than every other mother. All mothers ponder. The difference is Mary had no book to write it down in. She had no Tupperware to store all these symbols of stages of growth. I think Tupperware is the most dangerous thing. Tupperware is the most dangerous thing, especially if you're a pack rat, because it allows you to say, I'm gonna keep everything my child has ever done. Instead of a book, now we've got storage lockers. This is your storage locker. Everything you ever did, everything you ever wore. We're gonna keep all of these things. No, she didn't do that. She didn't have those things. She stored all these things in her heart in the quiet of her mind. Now, Storge has a wonderful side. Isn't it wonderful to talk about moms and dads and children? And it sounds like you're starting to go, oh man, this sounds like a Hallmark video. All he's doing is talking about the wonderful things of, about family. But let's be honest, let's be real. Family love isn't always as great as we make it out to be. Sometimes it can go dark. It can actually have a bad side. Let's begin, or let's end, by looking at the challenge of storge. This kind of love, storge, as we've seen, is a very natural love. We just have it for our children. I showed you that with Mary. She just has it. She doesn't know this baby. 
She has no relationship with this baby. It's one that she's going to grow in, but immediately she loves it. We naturally care for our babies. We naturally care for our children. When it comes to our parents, I think there is a natural desire to be with our parents and want to be with them and help them through the later stages of their life. The problem is, is that what is natural can easily be taken for granted. Because our relationship is so wired into our DNA, we don't think we have to invest in it. We might feel that we have a right to take advantage of it. And in that, it becomes twisted. So instead of maternal love being a blessing, maternal love can become suffocating. There may be a mother, for instance, who's always demanding to be loved. And if you don't love them in just the right way, in just the way they want you to, in just the right amount, it turns into resentful self-pity. Or if you're not doing enough to show (laughs) your love in the way they deem acceptable, they may turn on, oh, this is the favorite one, the guilt trip. I see way too many nodding heads going, this is me and it's happened to me, right? We end up being both because, uh, you know, while we're children, we're also parents, right? And so we sit in that messy middle sometimes where this is us. We may even pit other family members against each other in order to look the best. Guilting someone may work for a while, but eventually, again, as C.S. Lewis says, guilting others and resentful self-pity seal up the very fountain for which they're thirsty. If ever, at some favored moment, any germ of affection for them stirs in us, their demand for more and still more petrifies us again. This can happen with fathers as well. I'm thinking of the father who thinks they should always be obeyed even when their children are adults and parents themselves. You know what? Dad still wants to be dad. Dad still wants to be right. Dad still wants to know what's what. Now, it doesn't matter. You know what? That, that, that son could be the head of a banking uh, firm, and, and dad would still want to tell him about how to invest and, and how to manage his money, right? Because that's what dads do. Dads know these things, and they know them, and their son, no matter how successful they are, don't know these things, right? They go about demanding things. This one's me. Interrupting their children when they want to share their thoughts. You know, maybe they have a thought. They're working the thought out. They haven't figured it out yet. Oh, but I got the answer. Let me tell you what the answer is. Rather than letting the child work it out themselves, kind of figure, I'm not talking about a five-year-old. I'm talking about a 50-year-old. I'm talking about one that's older that, that has the capacity to do this. Maybe a father might even contradict things their children say, ridicule them as they're working it out. This is a circumstance that would never be tolerated in the workplace, in the church, or a community group, but it happens in the family, and it's just, dad just expects that it's gonna be okay. Why? Because of storge, that very good thing, that blessing from God. A natural family love, they think is and will always be just there. But this is dangerous, and we alienate in these things the people we love the most. 
Petrifying, that makes, means making stony their loved one's hearts, as C.S. Lewis says, turning that soft heart into stone. Friends, familial affection, familial love, storge, while it is natural, doesn't lessen the need to invest in it and to um, care for it and to nurture it. This is something that we all need to be doing. We all need to be doing this. During the Christmas season, a time of warmth and food and family, it can become a time when the old patterns of how we engage with each other rear their ugly heads. Christmas always starts out with so much promise, right? Until Christmas Day gets here. And then all of a sudden, we fall back into the patterns of the past. These patterns can and do decrease storge. This Christmas, the greatest gift you can give is to take time out of the decorating, out of the lighting, out of the baking, all the busyness and preparation, and just sit for a moment. Just sit and think about how you can engage your children and your parents in a healthy, positive, loving way that increases rather than decreases your family's affection, not only for you, but for one another. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for the work you're doing right now in our hearts to develop Storge, this family affection. Lord, we have brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. We have so many people in our lives, Lord, these family members, uncles and aunts, where we can really develop all of this Wonderful affection, but it takes an investment. It requires a decision. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us right now and help Storge to continue to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to join us in person or partner with us by visiting lsa.church forward slash give. We encourage you to like this content and subscribe if you found it helpful. And until next time, be blessed, and we'll see you soon.